Okay, great. Um, so first I'd just like to say that um, we're really honored to be speaking with you today and we really appreciate you taking the time uh, to pr participate in this interview. So welcome and thank you. Um, it's really exciting to have you here. And um, let's see. So a couple of my classmates are actually on the call right now, but I've asked everybody to, to stay on mute so that they don't interrupt the call. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, okay, I think we're ready to get started. Um, our first question is, um, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your current position and um, what brought you to the Cleveland Museum of Art? Um, well, uh, first, thanks for having me. <laughs> uh, so it's a, it seems funny that it's a class and I'm talking to my speakerphone. Um, but um, uh, so what brought, um, the question is what's my, what brought me to Cleveland Museum of Art? Sorry. Yeah, so if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself and, and your current position at the CMA. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so um, I have been in some form of information technology throughout my career, um, although I have a degree um, in applied mathematics um, from Columbia University and also an architecture degree. I, while I was there getting my master's in applied mathematics, um, was working for uh, Columbia Video Network, which at the time was a uh, entrepreneur, late 80s, early 90s, to um, have a distance, it was about using distance learning from through dedicated T1 lines. And um, at that time, really the only people who had email accounts were pretty much engineers. And um, we, I, I ended up at, uh, in the early 90s taking over as director. And um, it was really interesting because we dealt with corporate clients. And yet, since it was Columbia University, there was a lot of the things that I'm dealing now with, with museums and that um, people, there were copyright issues. People were afraid that by um, not being in the classroom, you would miss out on something um, and it would be a lesser experience. Columbia University was concerned that students were accepted the same way everybody else was accepted, that there was no sort of special student status. So um, that project actually I look back on a lot, even though it was over 20 years ago, in the sense that I had to figure out ways to um, integrate multiple systems, be it um, the huge bursar's office and the registrar's office into a, uh, a method that companies could get lists of anyone who was in these classes and what their grades were and where they're at. And because all these engineers traveled all over the world, how were there ways that they could access the information? And so we so were one of the first um, engineering schools that had uh, the syllabus for your class six months ahead of time online, which does not sound huge, but at the time mm -hmm. that was like groundbreaking. Yeah, so I've kind of gone off on a, a tangent, but the reason I bring up that project is it really, in my current job, I go back to that project in my brain a lot. Um, mm -hmm. And then I, uh, I came to Cleveland to work on, at uh, Case Western Reserve University. They were building a uh, business school and um, Frank Gehry was the architect so it was sort right. of an interesting project for me to have both sort of both sides of my passions and they wanted to do distance learning and uh, reorganize and sort of do state-of-the-art technology and learning modules and um, so um, as a die-hard New Yorker moving to Cleveland was definitely a hard transition but um, <laughs> And I always tell people it only took me five years to stop crying every day, but in the <laughs> end, I have gotten to this position, which is truly a dream job. And um, and Cleveland is a great city, but it's truly given me the opportunity to take all the different back, all the different projects because I've also done a lot of things, um, consulting, working on the other side, um, to to this position to really think about it as an entire digital strategy and that anything the museum does 
Um, it has to be sustainable. It has to be scalable. We never know what the next hardware will be, you know, right. um, you know, be it wearable devices or anything. You can't be designing for the hardware. You have to really be thinking of a scalable infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Thank you. No, that's wonderful. Um, and how long have you been at the CMA? I might have missed that. Sure. I came to um, Cleveland Museum of Art in 2010. Okay. They were in the middle of the building project. So it was a seven-year building project. And um, I came pretty much with like huge three, four, four major projects, and they all <laughs> sort of related to each other in some way. And um, so the best part of the job was that I had it, I had a chance to sort of make changes that would affect everything. And at the other the other, the negative was there were all these major projects going on. You couldn't, you know, you, you normally would want just one of those with everything else going on. Yeah, that sounds like, um, it sounds like you're kind of a, a project manager in a way, you know, trying to wield all of these, these large initiatives that are going on at once. And that sounds like a challenge, but also really exciting work. Um, yeah, so my position Sorry, I was just going to no. agree that it, it was it's a great position in that it's a strategy position, but I've also been the project manager on all the major um, implementations of the building. So it really, it, it was overwhelming and yet it really let me um, look at the big picture and that's been, that's been really um, rewarding. Great. Um, so that's kind of a good way, uh, good segue into um, our next question, which is um, related to the Gallery One project. Um, it's created such a buzz among the museum community. I know it's been mentioned in our class several times. Um, so we're just curious um, if you're expecting this kind of success when you design the project initially. Um, I when I um, started in 2010, Gallery One was not only a different name, but an entirely different project. Mm -hmm. um, but it was based, but um, but I knew, and I that it was it was an opportunity to do something um, that could really change the way we think of technology in, in art museums, mm -hmm. and so. Um, as much as I had just started, um, we were going down the route of sort of standalone interactive, um, using, uh, not using um, technology in a way that was thinking about the future. And the biggest thing we weren't doing is we weren't taking advantage of a collection that was almost fully digitized. Mm -hmm. And so, and then I always say on the on the other end, what what sort of the design was also it looked like it was a lot of hardware. It it felt like it would need a lot of maintenance. And I like to build things that once they're built, there's a system in place to maintain and keep it up. And um, because that's not fun to do is fix things all the time. What's right. fun to do is to sort of to you know, be part of creating something, and so that's always since I've worked a lot in nonprofits, figuring out how you do this so that it's maintainable within the resources you have, is um, something I also applied to this project. So mm -hmm. we didn't know what, and I have to tell you, it was really hard because you work with people from um, across departments. It was my first art museum, and um, it was hard, I think, for people to visualize what this was going to be. And at the same time, technology in an art museum, which seems like, you know, it's been so, I mean, Gallery One has, has gotten lots of positive feedback. People were really nervous that this was going to take away um, what an art museum is about, that it would lessen the experience, that it would be a gimmick to our world-class collection. So mm -hmm. I knew that whatever we did, it had to be seamless, it had to work really well, and that it and that the, the it had to be engaging, entertaining, and really show off and help people 
deep dive into our collection in multiple ways. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I mean, I've watched the um, the intro video on the the project or on the gallery several times, and every time I watch it, I, I get chills. It's just a really um, <laughs> exciting, <laughs> uh, kind of a sensational um, project, and I think. Um, I'd love to visit. I'd love to experience it myself someday. So hopefully I'll get out to Cleveland. Oh, yeah, Everyone's welcome. <laughs> yeah, so it sounds like you really achieved those goals then um, that you had in the beginning. Um, how did you go about creating a project like this that was that's so um, deep and emotional and has such a human component to it? Um, well, that's a great question. And um, I... I mean, I um, manage all the technology aspects to Gallery One, but Gallery One is a true collaboration of the museum and the museum's missions. And um, we had the head of education, the head of design, we had um, the head of collections, um, and then you know m multiple people. In fact, I feel like every almost everyone in the museum touched this this project at one point. But um, while the building was project was going on, they had done some evaluations. And they found that uh, people were intimidated by the art experience, mm -hmm. or that people felt, you know, even people who had PhDs in physics or whatnot were not sure, well, what do you do except read the tombstone information? Mm -hmm. So, um, we put together a set of goals, and, and and these goals were set before I came. I mean, they 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 changed slightly, but but it was really important that we that it was um, intergenerational and that we created a nexus of interpretation, learning, and audience development. We wanted to get new types of audiences, people who normally thought art museums didn't have anything for families or People who thought art museums, you know, art isn't exciting or engaging. We really wanted to bring in these audiences and let them really, and, and we had to bring them in a way that they would be engaged, but then they could find something in our art. And um, so personalization was another big component. There had to be a way that you could make this you could make this experience your own and even the way the content was developed was about the different voices i mean if we're looking at a paint a famous painting you can hear about the artist you could have a curator talk about the subject matter you could have conservation talk about an aspect of it you could have someone in the community if it was about rowing like a, a a famous rowing coach talks on one of the so there's different ways to even get into the to the object itself. Um, and then from a technology standpoint, that's when the goals sort of change. But I I really wanted to center on providing visitors um, to this new space with uh, something that was transformative, but that was really fun and that they um, they that that it was that is always say engaging, entertaining, but they also go away that they felt that they had you know learned something new at the museum or had an a new experience at the museum. Mhm. Mm yeah, it seems um, like such a simple concept, you know, even like making the faces and then having that um, similar artwork um, populate. Um, I think it's it really helps break down those barriers and almost like adds um, like a sense of humor, you know, to the experience. And I think that um, that's kind of what art museums need to really um, engage people and um, make it meaningful to them. Yeah, I, it's interesting because like that game, the make a pose or the make a face game, um, yeah. both games, um, you get people who don't know each other Standing around talking and laughing, and you know, in a museum. But you also see in the galleries. I mean, I have seen this more than once that when people find their object, and I'm actually one of the people, because you know, three months before we opened, we tested with the same objects to get the accuracy and whatnot. And 
I always tested with this bronze athlete sculpture, and I had never seen it until we opened. I was walking by the I was walking by this, um, you know, in on a way to a meeting, and I and in the case was this tiny bronze sculpture that I normally would have walked by, and I was like, oh, that's my sculpture, and I start, I couldn't believe how small it was and the details, and I was like, oh my gosh, this actually really works. But I've also mm -hmm. seen people um, from young to old that when they see the objects that they matched with, you know, getting excited like, there's my object, you know, and looking at it. And that, that also was a huge goal. Uh, the, the, the concept behind Gallery One was to look closer. From studio play games where you draw a line and it um, finds a detail in our artwork to um, the, the large interactive lenses in that it was all about pointing out things so that, that you would then engage with the art. You would look closer at the art. You would sort of have different um, tools. You would have like these tool, this tool set now that you could look at it from different points of view. Mm -hmm. And so um, we know that you chose um, local projects as a design firm um, yeah. for Gallery One. And so did you come up with the um, the idea, the concept for Gallery One in conjunction with local projects, or um, was that something you came up with before you approached them as the design firm? Um, we, uh, well, there was a concept, as I said, and we had a different design firm, which is a really top-of-the-notch design firm, but when we decided to start over, we really decided let's start over from scratch, because we uh -huh. had gone down sort of a it would be hard to kind of go backwards. So, but we did keep the concept that was about, um, I mean, it was engaging, it was about personalization, and, but we took sort of the, the, the hardware that was in place and we looked for another design firm. And, um, and Local Projects was awarded the job. Um, uh, they they got down to the top two and and they in the end just had that they just we were looking for people who who thought creatively. I was really my role was that they had enough of the the background that they they'd done this before. A lot of people were like, well, why didn't you choose a local Cleveland firm? And I I would have loved to, except this project was too big and too fast that we had to pick firms that had done. Um, a large interactive installation and had the development background. And so we were limited to who we sent the RFP out to. And I think right. even now we would have a whole lot, uh, you know, a huge, a, a bigger pool to uh, search from. But we, when we started with local projects, they presented sort of the old concept and, um, and it was okay, but the problem was no one really loved the old concept, or many didn't love the old concept. So um, Jake from Local Projects, he there was a lot going on. We had a new director of education. We had a new director in the museum. And we decided that this space was really going to be about, it was going to be a gallery. It, wasn't going to be, it used to be called the Lifelong Learning Center. And it was like, no, this is a gallery, and this we were going to pick top artwork. And then Jake started to hear that, and he thought about this looking glass module. And although what he came up with is so different from what was um, finally completed, he was he's, his concept of looking through, like those lenses in the art, you know, that you're looking through to the artwork. Um, he really sort of sketched that up, and I think that got that really got everybody going in a new direction. So it was a completely collaborative project, and it came from different ways, but in regarding how the interactive went from sort of these big ta heavy tables and sort of these 24-inch interactive um, LEDs to, the, to turning them so that they physically, you were, looking, you were looking at the art and looking at the interactives at the, sa the same way visually. And that was, that was definitely, he, brought, he started that concept. Wow. Yeah, he's quite the. Uh, he seems like quite the visionary. Yeah. Guy. And I guess you would but have to be. Too. <laughs> but I have to say, like, even with our, our AV integrator was on from the beginning, and like the whole concept of using micro tiles in the collection wall. He was at a. Um, he was at a conference, and he called me up, and he said, "You know, micro tile is going to be multi-touch. I think you should 
really come looking and consider this. And mm-hmm. that changed the whole concept of the collection wall was going to be sort of these individual LED stations where you sort of like personalized your own tours and stuff. And then at the same time, the new director was really about less technology, you know, it's more. And the same thing is that was how I felt, and that's also how local projects felt. So it wasn't like technology was like, no, more technology. We were all like, no, no, it has to be really about the art. And when I saw that microtile could be multi-touch, that really opened up that that really opened up new discussions. And um, and then even the I this is a lesson learned. The cost of microtile was a lot more than we had plans. We had no more budget, so we had to take out of other parts. And one of the things is we were going to have in the other gallery all these LEDs. And um, I said, well, why don't we get rid of those and we'll do interpretation on the app that we're developing outside of Gallery 1. Why don't we just bring that app into Gallery 1? Mm-hmm. And then the whole problem of connecting Gallery 1 with the rest of the museum was, was got people thinking. And then the idea of personaliza- personalization of your own objects you like from the wall to sort of launch you into the galleries. So it was a, it was a resource issue that actually began to solve the lack of resources actually began to make us think harder and come up with a better solution. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. Um, yeah, sometimes I guess um, challenges turn into opportunities. So, um, Yeah, more money is always best, though. We all know, yeah. right? So. <laughs> it always is. Um, so you talked a lot about um, sustainability um, and scalable projects, and I was we were wondering, um, with a project like Gallery One that presumably relies on big data and changing technology and, and staff maintenance, how, how did you ensure that Gallery One is sustainable? How did I ensure it? <laughs> well, I, I <laughs> Or is um, it, or? Um, I, 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 once I um, really thought about how we how it was really important when I heard about this project and saw how big it was and all the other things that go on in the museum and the size of our staff, it wasn't even an option that it couldn't be sustainable. The other thing is we were I got here in two thousand ten, we were opening in December of two thousand twelve and it was really important that um you know, in two and a half years, that everything wasn't outdated, you know, and that's the sort of direction we were going with technology. So, I um, it was really important to develop and implement a comprehensive digital strategy, and I know people use this this word all the time, but for me, from the technology point, that we were not going to run Gallery One from new systems. We were going to use our existing system, our existing um, collection cataloging management system, which, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, we have our own home-built one, but, you know, like Mm -hmm. the equivalent to a TMS, and that our digital asset management systems would, um, so we we started to start diagram within IMTS's application team, and we realized, okay, so we want that when something goes on view, Something goes off you, something goes to conservation, something goes on loan, something's accession, something's deaccession. It's going to be live in these interactives. It's going to show on the wall as these things happen. So in order to do that, we ended up um, pretty much building um, a flow and that we had sort of tested it because at the same time when I just started, our new website was rolling out and they hadn't really decided how they were going to do our online collection and they were really going to not, they were going to do it stagnant that they would just have sort of a file that be uploaded that you would upload every month or something and I was like, oh, that's crazy with this many mm-hmm. objects and this much stuff. So we kind of tested the plan out here and so the online collection was already sort of a test sample and I was, Gallery One was a test bed for our, our now complete museum-wide digital strategy. So we now have a, and I've shown this chart at different talks, but we have looked at all our applications within the entire museum 
be it um, uh, a advancement system, your parking system, your store system, your library systems, your everything. And then we look at our outward facing, like our digital signage, our website, um, interactive apps. And we have sort of a whole plan on how everything will tie together. And we've created this central table so that I'm in advancement and I want to know anybody who donated over $50,000 who was at our big party, who, um, who comes in on the weekend, like what objects, you know, did they download Artlands? And if they donated an uh, object to our collection, is it on view? And so that's what I want to know from advancement. But then from um, ticketing, I want to know a whole different other set of analytics. But they all have to pull from all these different systems. So we spent a lot of time in how do we do because everybody always wants a new system. And instead, we're putting a lot more energy into creating this central table, and um, and work and everybody can work with their own existing systems. But they all talk, they all talk to each other for the information we need to get. Wow. Um, yeah. Do you know if other museums are are doing something similar, or are you guys kind of ahead of of the trend here with that? Um, I think when uh, I you know I can't answer it directly, but I do think when we we started Gallery One, I was surprised. Um, to me, it was just common sense. I was surprised how this was sort of state of the art thinking for museums, but. Mm -hmm. I mean, lots of museums are doing this in some sort of way now. I know that even the way um, museums have organized their departments and where, you know, where does the website live has become a big question. And um, and so a lot I I know are thinking the way we're thinking, in that in, um, technology is the common platform, and there's processes and workflows and you, and all the different people, all the different departments need to speak to that platform. So we we have the big picture, and and that's why it's sort of when someone has a new idea for a project now, if it goes through um, this digital strategy team, we all know, we can look at how it might affect other things, or we might not do double pro projects that do the same thing in different departments. We can combine those projects. So. Um, so I don't know. I think mostly I think I think museums that are being innovative and want to. Um, I mean, you can't to to implement technology. It's costly, so you have to have a strategy that it makes sense and it's maintainable, and mm -hmm. people are getting the most out of it, and that you're publishing content in multiple places and. So you need you need a back end strategy to do this. So I think museums are going that way, mm -hmm. if not already. But if you know of a great museum, let me know. <laughs> I, I'm much I'm a much big believer of you know you don't need to invent. Um, so reinvent the wheel. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, that's that's um, great to hear, and we'll definitely. Um, Keep you apprised of any any museums that we hear of who are who are kind of um, heading that direction as well. Um, okay, so um, I'm going to shift gears a little bit and ask more general questions that relate to museums and technology. So thank you for all the information on Gallery One. That's really great, and um, it's exciting that it's been such a success. Um, so um, my next question is. Um, and I know that you thought about this a lot when you were designing the Gallery One project, um, is how to cater to um, such a wide range of museum visitors. So when you're developing a new project, how do you balance the needs and preferences of an increasingly diverse museum audience? Um, that's a great question. and. Um, I think in every project you have to decide what the goals are, and before you um, even execute the project, you you figure out how you're going to evaluate it so that you can see that you that you've been successful or not. I think um, 
because otherwise a project can start to bleed into multiple things and then you're not sure what it's trying to do and you don't know if it's doing it well. And my whole thing is whatever we do, we learn something from and we build upon it. And that we do take calculated risk. And um, like right now we're really looking into how do we expand ArtLens for exhibitions. So we're doing sort of a separate app that's very related to ArtLens that it will hopefully, um, they will merge at one point um, but we're doing certain things to test because, you know, within exhibitions you could have other museums, you have objects on loan, how do you pull that from your back-end systems the same way, how do people download it at home because of reproduction credits and rights and stuff like that. So we're, we're doing some kind of, we're, we do something sometimes that we might not do again, but we're, we're willing to test it because it makes a lot of sense. And so we're, for the first time we're going to do like a whole geolocating um, app and that you'll you'll um, you'll download the app before coming to the exhibition and there'll be some sort of teaser and things to look at but um, it won't it will open based on you being at the museum it will sort of be geo locked and then when uh -huh. it opens up and then once you leave you can't access the videos anymore and once the exhibition's over the whole app you know blows up and mm -hmm. And we're looking at in the back end even things like well, we'll do, you know, videos right now on ArtLens, they stream from the um, Amazon server because we don't want to hog up even more of your your space with ArtLens, which, and there's a big, you know, you sort of weigh what do you want always on the phone and what do you want to stream in? And so we're looking at, well, for an exhibition, don't we want all the videos already there so it goes from one to the next? And then we're like, well, but that's a lot of space. And so we come up with sort of creative ideas and we, we try them in smaller projects or smaller exhibitions in this case. And then we see what we get from it and we, and we go from there. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like I kind of got off from your initial question of how do you look at all different audiences. So the point of that was that um, sometimes, I mean, Gallery One was intergenerational. It was meant for people who had museum background and people who have never been to the museum. Mm -hmm. And that is hard to do and I think that um, in some ways it's really successful because there's something for everyone. Like even the line and shape that you draw a line, there's no metadata or anything associated with it, but it finds a detail in the artwork. People of all different levels engage with that a lot. But mm -hmm. then there's the, like in art lens, we really don't have interpretation for younger audiences. I mean, it's pretty standard, even though there's different ways to get in as an adult, you still have to be someone who's, I would say, you know, 12 and up to appreciate it. Right. Um, although I do see many young people with it, so um, again, that's an evaluation question, but uh, it's, it's hard. So what we also look at, like for ArtLens, because we were looking, we found out like there's multiple visitors. There's the people who come to the museum and they come twice a year or once a year and they say, what should I see? What order should I see it? You know, what should I know about it? And then there's the visitors who say, I only like contemporary art, and but I want to know the next, you know, they've already seen our collection. They want that next level down. And, um, and then there's the people who are the wanderers who just, or the browsers, and they, they walk through all the galleries, but when they see something they like, they want to get information quickly, and they sort of that Amazon method of if you like this, you might like that kind of thing. And we found in one visit, you could be all three visitors. So we have set our app up, and we look at other projects in that there's different ways to get into it. And as you go along a tour, you might jump off onto just looking at an object, see there's related objects, and just start walking through the museum. And when you see see something you like, you just put up, you just hold it up, and the hotspots pop up through our augmented reality. And then you see that there's new objects on this other tour. You might jump on that tour because it's all about contemporary um, gateways or things like that. And so. We really try to make it flexible instead of telling someone this is the way you do it, there are multiple, there are multiple ways to do it. And so you can learn and look at art in multiple ways. At the same time, we have to keep it very simple 
we mean it, make it intuitive. And that's kind of hard to do when you're trying to accomplish all that. So it's, a, it's definitely always a balance of how much do you try to, how many audiences do you try to bring in, and what's the purpose of this exact project, what's the, um, the, the length of this project, and, and what are we trying to gain from it. Mm -hmm. Well, it sounds like you, you guys have put a lot of effort into at least identifying the type of people who are visiting your museums, and, and that's um, really key to creating a project that satisfies um, a lot of different visitors. Yeah, and that's um, the other, the, the, just to aim also another part of Clean Museum of Art, which is different from like the National Gallery, is that we have huge, Cleveland is a huge repeat visitorship. We're not really a tourism city. And mm -hmm. so you have to set something up like Gallery One in that people are going to, that they'll come back to it multiple times. So there's layers and layers of information um, involved so that they, you don't just do it once and you're like, oh, I did that already. Right. Yeah, no, that's very different, um, and that's an interesting observation because that is different for many museums. At least I'm in the D.C. area, and so I'm exposed to all of the the museums on the mall, and everybody, a majority of visitors are are um, coming from out of town, and so it's it's definitely a different um, dynamic there, um, and the types of visitors that you get, and and how layered to make your information. Um, so that's interesting. Thank you. Um, thinking back on on past web projects that you've worked on, are there certain characteristics or core elements that need to exist in order to develop a really brilliant project? Um, I think I think that you have to have all the right people at the table, but you know, not just have everyone because to have everyone, to have the experts in each of the areas. And you have to respect the expertise of each of the different areas. So you need, you know, the content and the interface designer and the developer and the AV integrator and the, you know, the, the designer for the exhibition or the space. And um, I think that it's not that just that one person makes a decision on that area, but they they are the expert and that you have the right people, you're going to build something great and you're going to get a momentum going that, you know, bounces off of each other. I also think that, I mean, I, I really think that museums need to do best practices in how you execute a project, how you implement a project, and um, so project management in the sense of how the real, the nonprofits, the, the for-profits do it, I think um, we can, by implementing these styles, we can gain a lot more than we originally intended, for, intended to. Yeah, I agree. I, um, I've noticed and I've heard a lot of people mention that recently in the museum field, just that the need for project managers, not even just in technology, but for any project, you know, you kind of, you need that person to really administer everything and tie everything together. Um, and make sure all the, yeah, make sure all the voices are heard, make sure you're on timeline. The person who says, okay, we can make that change, but this change affects all these other things before, you know, like someone who's looking at it constantly. And, and, and this might change the, the timeline which we can't change. So what are we going to get rid of? Or this might change right. the budget, which we can't change. So what are we going to exclude? And by excluding those things, what does that mean to the rest of the project? And when you have all the right people at the table, you can really, you can come up with, like, like the wall, we came up with a really great solution in how we were going to go do that. Do you um, think that the right people are usually like the people in the trenches, like the the worker bees, or are they usually leaders in their department? I mean, I don't know if that's if you know the trend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what? Uh, that's a really good question, and um, you know, it, it sometimes comes down to actual individuals. But I do think that 
the way it, it most works productively is that you have the right representative from that area, and that mm -hmm. department can decide who the right representative is. And then that person goes back to their department, you know, be it interpretation, and says, all right, we have to, you know, we have to create all these videos, we have to do this, like then they're managing that amongst their team. So we don't need, you know, and they're, they're coming back with their concerns, but there should be sort of one person who best can go back to the department and get everyone excited or the right people in place or has control over the timeline um, and whatnot. Sometimes mm -hmm. if you have just a worker bee, and I've been on all sides you know, of it, um, they might be so stuck in the rules of what they're allowed to do. So right. it's, if you're really at the, at the concepting level, um, you might not, that might not be the best person, but if I have a, you know, someone who really knows how it currently works, I'm going to use them for, you know, to come to the meeting with me or to give me information so that I'm, I'm, I'm prepared in knowing some of the stops already. Mm -hmm. But I also will go back and say, yeah, we're going to start all over because this is why. <laughs> and um, and it's, if, if it's a good idea, usually I've, I've realized if an idea is truly changing because it's a good idea and not because of politics or personalities or whatnot, if it's really a good idea, you'll get a team to shift with it and, it, and people are, are, are kind of, they get kind of um, jazzed to kind of make it better. Mm -hmm. I mean, at least, least in technology I find that. No, that, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, my next question is, uh, what do you think is the most effective use of mobile apps for museums? The most effective? Um, I yeah. think it depends on your museum. Um, for us, and I just, there was an article, I think on Sunday in the Times on apps, and um, we were not mentioned, but um, <laughs> they were talking about, you know, uh, tour museum from anywhere and how people are using uh, museum apps. And none of them mentioned, which is one of our best features, is our wayfinding. And our wayfinding, not in the, not originally how we intended it, that you favored an object and you then walk, you follow the map to get to your, your object, but we just went through a whole year of fine-tuning that. And our next update, um, I'm really excited about, but it's, it's about location awareness. So wherever you are in the museum, it knows what gallery you're in. It knows what objects you're near. It pops up the information simply when you hold it up to the object and hotspots pop up. And I think that, that that whole idea of I'm walking around the galleries, I'm looking at the art, but when I want interpretation, it's easily there. I'm not looking, it pops up and it's right, you know, so it doesn't really interrupt my experience, it enhances my experience. So for us, I, re I really think like that's, that's something great in a museum app. And I actually wish that someplace like, um, and I'm a native New Yorker, I'm gone to, I mean, all these museums, but like the Met, which is huge, that, you know, the use of a real wayfinding to me would be extremely helpful. Then there's um, other parts of the app like, you know, curator's favorites, um, top ten, you know, we have a top ten on our, on our um, app. It has, um, it's dynamically pulling. As people are favoriting on the wall or favoriting from home, it gives, oh, I think it's top 20, top 20 objects. So you can get into it just from what other people are choosing. Um, there's also people, some people really just want to, um, you know, have a, a tour put together where they can listen to curators, listen to experts, tell them about the objects so they can prepare the next day. Um, and I think that's valuable. And then the other part is, you know, a way of getting to people around the world. And, and honestly, when we were developing ArtLens, we were so focused on the whole Gallery One experience. We weren't really thinking so much about the people in China who will be downloading ArtLens. And so, because, you know, the whole thing of is it multilingual, we didn't really think about that too much because we're like, well, Cleveland, you know, that, that's maybe not where we put our money right now. But we, when we did the smartphone version, we started to realize, oh, 
you know, the whole near you now function, some people are not near. And so the whole map doesn't really work for them. And so we, we added functionality. We added search. So you could search by any um, um, title or, or artist. And then we also did like a, a list that you could scroll with your finger by each gallery based on um, the subject matter in that gallery. And so your question of what do apps do best in museums, I mean, our, our answer is there's, it's different for, for different people. And we think that you can't just relate to one type of audience unless you want to do sort of multiple different apps. And, um, and sometimes that's, like as I said, we're trying to do this sort of an exhibition app. But our bigger goal is that they will talk to each other eventually. Um, and even in, in um, like part of our interactives from the studio play, do we make those apps for young kids who aren't in, you know, that aren't in Gallery One? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting that um, that you had users from China and um, thinking about a global audience even when you're designing these things. It's just it's a lot to think about. Um, and, and it would have been it would have been overwhelming if we started to think about that yeah. at the time. But now we've stepped back and realized, you know, this is an opportunity to get people into our world class collection, which we couldn't, you know, which, you know, and it's been a great way. And it's, um, I think, um, the Met app has gotten a lot of um, exposure because the interface is just so it's a really nice interface, but it's. Mm -hmm. It's really like a mini website. It's not doing anything more than, but as, if I was a visitor from afar, to me it's a great intro and great way to get into the, into the collection without being at the museum at all. And mm -hmm. so um, we, we didn't look at that side of it. And I think that would be beneficial. That would be something to think about in our next iteration. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about um, social media next and try to speed through a couple of questions just so I leave enough time for, um, for questions from our classmates um, in a bit. Um, so in your opinion, what is, um, what is the appropriate role of social media pertaining to a museum exhibition? Oh. You mean like crowdsourcing an exhibition? Um, well, that's actually another question we have. So maybe we could just talk a little bit about social media, the role of social media in an exhibition, and the role of crowdsourcing in an exhibition, and you know, distinguishing between the two. Yeah. Um, well, uh, all right. So social media. What we found, I mean, there's so many, I mean, that's a conversation itself, but <laughs> regarding like our app and our interactives, um, our app, you can take any object and you can tweet it or Facebook it or um, any type of social media with it from your phone. Um, and it says, look what I found, and it has, um, it has an an image of the object, and it has its tombstone information, and then it has a link to our online collection, so you could, you know, dive deeper into that artwork. Mm -hmm. That isn't being used so often. What is being used? I mean, we we and um, and I know I, and there's multiple reasons maybe why it's not being used too much. But what is being used is you know, when people make a face and they match with something, you know, you see those more on, so, on social media more. And it's harder to do because it's on the interactive game. You have to email it to yourself and then you do social media. You know, we, we don't, um, our our, currently our interactives don't um, sort of automatically attach to our app. And I think in the next iteration of Gallery One, we're looking more at how those things can easily maintain. And what we found out is that People love, they bring their phone to the museum and they do so, you know, they love 
they love engaging, they like taking their e-selfies, they like posing, you know, like artwork in the galleries, they like telling people they're here, they like telling people that's a new exhibition. And so it's really about their experience while they're here. And I think that's great. And there, there was a study that was done that they had people look at artwork and, um, and uh, in the galleries. And then they had people go in the galleries with a phone and they took pictures of the artwork. And the people who just looked at the artwork could remember it more than the people who took pictures, who took photos. And that was because your brain sort of automatically tells itself like, oh, I took a photo. I don't really need to remember too much. I can look it up later. That's but then they did an experiment and they sent the people back out with the phones and said, we want you to find a detail in the object and take a photo of that. And they had the other two um, groups. And then that group was actually the highest to remember the most about the object. Hmm. So it's sort of, again, getting down into looking at, a looking at an object. When you look at a detail, your you sort of look closer at that. And so I, I think it's, that was interesting. And so how to sort of exploit that, that you get people to sort of look at a detail of an object. And it could be an actual physical detail. It could be something about, you know, you know some method. But it, it definitely brings you into the art and makes you remember the art. So I think that's an important mode of social media. Um, in crowdsourcing, there was that article in the Wall Street Journal that I thought was really interesting of all the different museums that are trying different um, methods of crowdsourcing. And I, um, I think it was the Santa Cruz Museum of Art. They, they had everybody um, like vote on all the objects for an exhibition, and it brought up this whole question of, you know, like, is that, oh, and then, like, when they, they had 40 paintings, and then they had, like, 2,000 people's hashtag names who were part of voting for it, or were the curators listed for the show. So um, that museum was trying to sort of do sort of new ways to get audiences into the museum, because they were having a hard time with visitorship. And um, and it got people and experts sort of saying, you know, is this a museum or is this a community center? You know, is this gonna is this really what we want to be doing? Mm -hmm. And um, but it kind of was that that method saved the museum on the brink of this you know big collapse. So you know, it it sort of was like, well, to me that seems kind of a successful way. I wouldn't do every exhibition that way, but it, it was a way that people got excited again. Then there was like um, another museum um, had people vote on the theme. Oh, in Chicago, they voted on the theme. And, um, and it ended up being like Chicago authors was what the next exhibition would be about. So the theme was voted by the public, but then the, the curators put it together. And there was some talk about, because people sort of, like some writing group was sort of rallying for, you know, got people um, to vote for authors. And they said, well, is that, you know, is that truly the way they do it? And they said, well, that's, you know, they had no problems that people were rallying for their own sort of individual or group decision or group likings because again that's a way of using crowdsourcing and social media is about um, you know getting the ideas out there and people seeing what other people are saying and then you know going from there. One of the yeah. things that one of the things that comes up is um, when they were doing that was like do you show the results of the voting as it's going and one museum wouldn't let people see that and I was thinking in our um, one of our interactives in Gallery One is it shows, it says, uh, it's in our painting lens. It shows an object from our collection, and it says, do you think this object, why did, the, why did the artist paint this object? And was it because it's a new way of painting, because um, they wanted to save a moment in time, they, um, because the, it, was, uh, it was a political statement, and so there's like two others. And you look at it, and then you vote. And then it shows you where you, you came where your what percentage your answer hit, and 
it doesn't mean there's a right or wrong answer. It just means to make so if you you hit in the top percentage, you might be like, yeah, I thought so. Or if you were in 17%, you might look closer at the, the painting again and try to think of, I wonder why everybody was thinking this. So mm -hmm. so I think in that sense, it, it's, it's sort of a valuable way of getting you to relook at something. Mm -hmm. um, Sarah, you were going to ask me something and then... Oh, no, I was just going to um, make a comment about, um, I think that's the big question with crowdsourcing and um, museums potentially losing their um, authoritative voice and, and whether that's a problem, and maybe it's not, you know, but that seems to be the big, the big question that everyone's asking about crowdsourcing these days, so. Well, I think that there's, there's sort of a, a a balancing act that you can do some some things to get public involved and kind of hear what they're they're saying and mm -hmm. um, but it doesn't mean that you make your entire that that's how you do everything you could just I, I mean I think people take risks to build a stronger museum and this is a that's just a risk people do and it it could be you know some curators would say well now you're going to have a, you know you pick this theme or you pick these objects that don't match or make any sense together and you know it's going to be a dull exhibition um, maybe but you know then people maybe understand you know that that there is it's kind of I also always feel like it's like when desktop publishing came out in the early 90s and it was like oh designers won't have a job everyone will be doing their own desktop publishing well yeah, when you're making a sign for your block party, but mm -hmm. I still, you know, need the expert skills to really see and experience something, you know, yeah. designed really well. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Yeah, um, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, so I think we're kind of running out of time here, but I'd like to just ask one final question in closing um, before I open the floor to um, my classmates. Um, so as the leader of major IT initiatives for a museum, what's the most important lesson or advice you would share with aspiring professionals in your field? Uh, listen, um, which is hard to do sometimes. <laughs> But I would say, um, I think you need to really listen to what people are trying to achieve. You know, I mean, this is not a new sentence, but a lot of times also, you know, people say, oh, we need a website, oh, we need an app, oh, we need this, and they don't really need that. They, and we really work hard on trying to peel the onion to understand, well, what, what are you trying to achieve? Because that's not really what an app could do for you, or that's not, you know. So, helping sort of content providers or um, museum, um, even like the development team, like understand that there's probably there's another solution that will um, give you what you need. So, that's sort of, um, and I, I say I always say like keep. I, I, it's really hard when you're working in a museum. You get involved with other museums are doing. But I'm like, look outward all the time. I want to know the best, you know, the best method for this, the best method for that. We were looking for a new advancement um, database, and it sounds like in museums world we go through the same three, and you know, we're, we're sort of rotating those among us. And so they're obviously it's lacking. Nothing's doing anything. No, this is no offense towards any development database out there. But um, I said to my team. Let's go into the real world and see, even though it's not made for museums, let's see what's out there that works well. Maybe we can sort of retrofit or customize it for, for the museum. But I'm, I'm a big, big proponent of looking for the best and then implement, you know, making it work for, for your institution. Mm -hmm. what are your, um, what's your opinion on, on open source data or um, open APIs and things of that nature? Um, I, I'm a, a, we, you know, I think it's, um, I mean, for, we changed, we actually, after our website went live, um, it was originally all in Sitecore and hard-coded down and it was managed with this complex content management system that um, it was all sort of built 
with this outsource through just um, marketing, like like they usually were done. And we pulled out the whole back end to use uh, to have a Drupal because we wanted to really make this website um, do multiple things for the museum and um, be able to talk with other colleagues and share different new developments. And, and one of the things is like our calendar was just not working well in the Sitecore system. And that was one of the things that sort of, you know, moved us over to be able to share amongst others. And, um, and everything we designed, that whole central table is about open APIs. So mm -hmm. um, I, we're, we, we think it's, I don't think every project can be done that every time someone's like, well, are all your interactives in an open source? I'm like, no, that would you know, have been impossible to achieve what we needed to do that way. But conceptually, I, I, we, you know, I believe in like a lot of the discussions we had even with um, rights and reproductions for images just seems like that is going to, that has to go away to be able to achieve what we need to do. And mm -hmm. some of the reasons it's still in play is really they don't make sense completely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Thank you. Um, okay, so now I'd like to open the floor to um, anybody else who's on the call. Does anyone have any questions they would like to ask? If you're on mute and you're trying to ask a question, you might want to take yourself off mute. I'll just wait one more second. They all fell asleep. They're like, that was so boring. <laughs> no, actually, I don't think there's um, too many people on the call. Um, but I don't know, Jane, do you have any questions for me? Or um, is there anything well, else you'd like to say? Um, I just, uh, well, thank you for having me. Um, I, I'm curious what do you guys think is the next big thing in technology and museums and um, and what do you think of uh, you know you, 3D printing always comes up and I was going to ask what you think about that. Um, you know I haven't actually I haven't really seen a, a successful 3D printing project in um, in the flesh or in the making, um, I think it generates a lot of buzz. And but for learning purposes, I'm not I'm not sure how that's going to um, manifest. And um, I think it's really exciting and cool. And there's a lot of promise for 3D printing, not just in the museum world, but um, in other um, fields as well. Um, I think for creating um, like casts or reproductions of objects, it's really it's really an interesting um, technology, and I think that there's a lot of promise there. But I'd like to see how it's going to actually manifest in in um, like for the everyday visitor. Yeah, if they can I, make it I, cheap enough, I think it would be it would be interesting. But for learning, I don't know how um, how impactful it's going to be. Yeah, that's a, yeah. I I I actually agree with you. Sort of like so people always bring it up, and I'm like, you know, at this point, I'm not understanding how to implement the impact. Yeah, it's how. a really neat and flashy technology. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where that goes in the next five or ten years. But yeah. Um, so. Um, well, well, great. And what are, so is those people in this program? Where where are they off to be once they graduate? Um, all over the place. It's actually an online program, so so everything's done online, um, and so people are spread spread out all over the world, um, and you know. What I from what I've heard, people are ending up at some really stellar um, institutions, and so that's exciting. Um, in all different fields of museum work, so some people go into collections. Um, I'm sure some people work on web and IT, um, and 
you know, other things related to museum work. So I actually That's have a, a background in natural history museums, so I'm hoping to end up at a natural history museum again someday. So. Oh, that'd be very cool. Well, they're doing a whole renovation of the natural history next to us. So. Oh, really? Yeah. So they're wow. going for the next six years, big changes. So it'll be pretty cool. Well, thank oh. you so much. Um, thank I you. Um, but if anyone has any questions, I feel like I was a little rambly, but don't um, be uh, afraid to just send me an email. Sure, and I, I think this is going to be really helpful for um, for my classmates. So thank you very, very much. Um, we sure. appreciate you taking the time to do this. Great, and have a great weekend. Okay, you too. Okay, bye. Bye. A weekend, week, sorry. <laughs> I was wishing. Bye. <laughs>